wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. orgasmic birth matter? Is that something you've been thinking about? We've been having so many great guests and episodes. So I hope as you're listening, you're going deeper and deeper to feeling the connection between sexuality and birth. That birth is whole. It's a part of who we are. We can't just separate that birth is this physical event. It includes body, mind, spirit, and sexuality. And There are so many things to consider when you're thinking about or preparing for an orgasmic birth, not only what it means today, but what that means to your health and well-being going forward. Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro. I am the director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. And today, I really want to take you into a little bit deeper dive. As you're getting to know me and know many of the guests that we've had, I want to just like take you back again and thinking, what was birth like? And I know we've covered that a bit. I hope you've been exploring what your roots and connection to birth have been, where you were born, where your parents were born, great-grandparents. And, you know, most people are only a generation two or three from birth being at home. But You know, we have had benefits from medicine, so I do want to say that hospitals have been a place of saving lives, but we're in a difficult place right now because if medicalization of birth was always good, then we'd be having better outcomes than we have. And I really think of the medicalization of birth as like the industrialization of birth. It's kind of like McDonald's, right? They have a limited menu and they want to move a lot of people through quickly. So in that model, why it benefits those that really have risk, the 99% lose a lot of traditions, right? They often lack the support and love and the freedom of movement that they need. And what we're learning is when you take healthy people and you over-apply interventions, we actually call that itrogenic harm. It means that they're getting all the risks of an intervention without the benefits. And sometimes that's creating a cascade that's leading to poorer outcomes, both for mother or baby or both. So when we look, and I just want to dive in a little bit to the medical healthcare system, for those of you that are listening from around the world, I really encourage you to look at your own individual system. Because again, if the system was doing so well, 
we'd have better data. So the United States ranks last in maternal health outcomes of all the other industrialized nations. We spend the most of any country. So we truly overspend and under deliver. If it was really about money, hands down, the U.S. should have better outcomes, but it's not. 700 women die of complications of pregnancy and childbirth per year, and maternal deaths have doubled here over the last 20 years. People are twice as likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than a generation ago, and over 50,000 women each year suffer life-threatening complications, what we call a near miss. And the sad news is that two-thirds of these maternal deaths in the United States are preventable. So let's break it down even more. And I know you're thinking that that a lot of this has to do with our racial disparities and inequities. Black, brown, and indigenous women are three times more likely to die from complications of pregnancy and childbirth than white women. We know that of the women that die each year in the United States, Black women are most disproportionately affected. And even of infant mortality, Black babies die at a rate of almost 10 times more, 10.8 per thousand live births, where white babies or our national average is 5.6 per thousand. So we really have to look at some great websites to get this data from our blackmamasmatter.org, which dives deeper into the inequities. Also, everymothercounts.org, two websites I use as long as, as well as our Center for Disease Control in the United States. And those that are listening international, please post out. I'd love to know what data you find. Are there inequities and racial disparities in your country or community? And what are your overall rates of maternal and infant mortality? So I just want to take you back and not that before hospital birth, we didn't in many parts of the world have very high maternal and infant mortality rates. We did, and there have been many improvements. But one of the things we know is that we can have safe and healthy birth in any setting today. We have great outcomes in home birth, really great outcomes too in birth centers, which are really like having a home birth in someone else's home. There's nothing different that midwives have in a birth center than they have when they bring their own equipment to your home. And ideally, I'd love to see us have home births in the hospital, where hospitals would realize that creating a safer environment that would truly honor each person to move the way they want to move, to have with them who they need for support, to honor that birth is a part of their intimate life, to bring more love. And with that, as you heard from Dr. Sarah Buckley, they need to have privacy, safety, and feel unobserved. So some things we can learn from that history of our ancestors that birthed at home or really looking and understanding home birth today. So 
as you're considering your place of birth, I always, when I'm teaching doulas, I love in our doula workshops, we really talk about some essential things to prepare for birth so that people can make informed decisions. And I think one of them is to ask your caregivers a bit about their birth paradigm. So what percentage of people in their practice have cesarean birth? What percentage of people in their practice use medication, epidurals? And if you're lucky enough to be in a place where nitrous oxide is available, also called laughing gas, what percentage of people use that? How often are people laboring upright? Do they have balls and cubs and different tools? And I'll go deeper into those and show you some in other episodes. But there are so many ways to have movement and have a birthing area that looks more like an active gym space than having the bed as the center of the room. How many people in their practice have a doula? And I've already talked about how doulas um, are such an important part of helping you to have a gentle, safe, and private birth, and many times giving you that privacy you need to go deeper into intimacy and have an orgasmic birth. So you really want to get to know that paradigm. You know, it's your birth. And so many people, and you may be hearing it in some of the birth stories as people share is so often for a first birth, people are locked in fear with kind of that paradigm that all that's going to happen in birth is pain. And so they turn their power over to their caregiver as if someone else is going to know better than you what you and your baby need to safely navigate birth. And I think that's a mistake. I think when you find a caregiver that realizes that this is a collaboration and the caregiver honors that you have the most knowledge, if you are the birthing person, you are the most connected to your baby and you're going to truly feel into what feels right, what way you need to move to be able when decisions are being made to have the information that you need to make the best decision in the moment in collaboration with your care team. So if you're nervous to like ask your provider, what's their rate of cesarean? Or if they don't want to tell you, these are big red flags for you and for them, because you want to be somewhere that you completely trust that you're going to have respectful communication, that you're going to be honored and respected. And if you feel in prenatal care, you can't ask those questions. If people ever say to you, just trust me. And I've heard this. I've had clients where when they ask the rates of different interventions, as well as having access to showers and waters and tubs and balls and doulas, the caregivers have said, oh, honey, just trust us. We'll take care of you. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like you wouldn't walk into a store just yesterday. I My phone isn't doing well and I had to go into a phone store and I wanted to look at all the different models and ask questions. And can you imagine if the salesperson said to me, oh honey, just trust me, I'll pick it out for you. Like I would have turned around and walked out. So why in childbirth? Have we given our power over? Why are we allowing that to happen? And I think for orgasmic birth, my message to you is it's really about preparing. 
to positively prepare for birth, whether it's our classes or others. There's so many ways and so much information now to listen to the positive stories to start really finding the providers where you feel safe and respected. And as you do that preparation, so you know that you're birthing in the right place, you put together the team that you need, then part of the orgasmic birth is doing all that preparation, creating then that safe space, and I like to call it birth ambiance, right? Getting the lighting you want, the sounds, the smells, the tastes, really like planning for a night of great sex. You want to create that same environment because just like in sex, right? We can't think our way to orgasm. The minute your brain gets in the way and you start thinking of, I should do this, or maybe you're even going somewhere else, three things I have to do tomorrow, or a stranger walks in the room and you don't feel safe, you know what happens to that loving feeling. And that's so true in birth. You need to be in a place where you can really let your mind go, right? You have to get into your body so that you can feel your way through labor and birth. You'll feel your baby. You'll feel your body. You'll literally ride all those waves, right? And remember that orgasmic birth is not just orgasm. It's really feeling the joy, the emotions, being present, staying in your power, and being a part of decision-making. All those are ways that people experience an orgasmic birth. So when we think of hospital birth, and I love to do this, try in your mind to just picture a hospital birth. Maybe you need to close your eyes. And what are three things you see? So just like put them into your mind. Maybe you're even writing them down somewhere, or maybe you can even message me on that. But I will share with you when I think of hospital birth, and I'm in Northern New Jersey, in a lot of our hospitals, I think of people in bed. I see a lot of IVs and inductions. I see a lot of people on fetal monitors and not just the intermittent. We do need to monitor in labor, so 20 minutes out of the hour, but they still can be telemetry monitors where they're like a cell phone doesn't isn't wired and connected to the wall anymore. You can walk where you want. Well, monitors can be like that too, and they can come on and off. So I see people more tethered, which already, think about it, if you had to be in a hospital bed with an IV and a fetal monitor, and that was your place to plan great sex tonight, how would that feel to you? So I want you now to think of like, Maybe your hospital has a birth center. Some hospitals are getting good with having more birthing suites. Maybe you're thinking of a birth center or even what would birth look like in your own home? How would those three words differ? What would you see in that environment? And as a doula, 
um, often in places where what I see is that birth ambiance. I see people really dancing their baby down. They're hugging, they're touching, they're moving. It's not like one person's in a bed and the other person's out. If there is a bed, there's enough room for both people to lay together and spoon. There are tubs that are big enough for two people to really hold each other and love their baby into the world. So lots to think about in kind of our birthing environment. What do you want to create so that you can have the potential for that sacred sexual orgasmic birth? It's very hard to do it if the environment is not conducive. And then if you're in that environment where Let's say you're in a tub and you have freedom of movement and you can kiss and touch and maybe yourself or your partner can guide you to things that increase your oxytocin, that bring you into your sensuality, that really stimulate, right? You're going to move in different ways. Your sounds are going to be different. Just think about the difference of what it's like to be turned on and just fully in love and feeling your own or your partner's touch and what it feels like instead to be observed by others and machines and touched by strangers, maybe in ways that don't always feel safe. There's such a contrast. So orgasmic birth matters in how you prepare, what you learn, how you bring your sexuality to it. And so many of our sexuality educators are giving you great tips. And then when you labor and fully dilate and open to birth, right? You're going to move in different ways. Elizabeth Davis, right, says in our film that when women get fully dilated and they're having an orgasmic birth and the hormones are coming up, they get up, they stand up, they often lean forward and they roar. And we're learning a lot about how leaning forward, which is when people are allowed to move, even in the first stage. More people lean forward. People are usually put back. It's usually not their choice to be because when you lean back, you're bringing the baby back with you. When you lean forward, you're actually helping the baby to rotate forward. But we're learning more and more, too, that we have all those clitoral nerves, our cervix. Oh, my goodness, did you enjoy the episode from Olivia about the self-cervix? Our cervix is filled with nerves and healing and really understanding your cervix. And that can help in birth to have different sensations there. Then the baby comes down and those clitoral nerves, the clitoral complex is there. And when you lean forward, you're actually stimulating those nerves that are helping just like in the waves of orgasm or even just the waves of pleasure and intimacy. They're helping the waves of bringing the baby down into the world. So the positions you take have a different impact 
on your anatomy and they have a different impact on your baby. They're not just like a couch potato. They are impacted by gravity and the baby is actually wiggling and pushing and giving last kicks to stretch and move out as well. So when that birthing person moves, they make room for the baby to move. And I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg in understanding how different positions are impacting different parts of the female anatomy. So, so interesting, right? And that's why I think many people that feel safe and are deeply connected and in touch with their body, do the work before the birth, then feel those moments of ecstasy or pleasure. And a rare few have that birthgasm, that incredible as you saw in our documentary, Orgasmic Birth, Amber has two rolling orgasms in labor. And she wasn't even at the moment of birth. They were stimulated by being in labor and kissing her partner. So there's so much available to us that has been sterilized or stripped away by a system, by the fact that we don't talk about birth and sex, that there's so many taboos about birth, so many taboos about sex. And I, if you're someone that's feeling immobilized by the fear or the pain, so you haven't been doing the work or haven't been asking questions of your caregivers, do they support this connection between birth and sex, birth and intimacy, that birth is emotional and your emotional well-being in labor is incredibly important because if you don't feel safe, if you feel afraid, your labor is going to slow or stop. And if you're in a hospital, they're going to start interventions to push it along rather than stepping back and saying, how can we help you to feel safe? How can we help your own body to open to birth? So I hope some of my thoughts today just have you looking, because if our system was so good, we'd have much better outcomes. And I do believe the system is necessary and needed for some people, but it's time for great change. It's time to honor that there is joy, love, pleasure, ecstasy, and birth, and to start asking, how are we going to support people to feel that, to have that peak transformational experience. And it truly starts with you. As you're hearing people share their stories, each person that's taken their power back, that's found the right place for them, the right provider for them, and given birth in their way, they are finding great joy. So I really hope that fear, it's a healthy thing to have. Birth is an unknown, but it's unhealthy to make it so strong that it stops you from having some curiosity, from asking questions, from going beyond what your assumptions might be. And instead of creating an ordinary experience, I believe every birth has the potential to be extraordinary. And that's what I wish for you. Thank you for listening today. I hope you'll share your comments with me. I always love to hear from you. What ways are you taking back your power? What ways are you planning for an orgasmic birth? 
And I look forward to hearing from you. And please listen along. We're going to go deeper and deeper into these discussions in the coming weeks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.